Hello, my name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of these signposts is to try and help to connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. We're continuing our series of signposts uh, going through the Bible from beginning to end and uh, we're going to think about the prophets today. And So I'm going to read from uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, just a few verses from verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Well, the writings of the prophets take up a significant portion of the First Testament and they're generally, in the Christian Bible anyway, they're generally split uh, into two sections consisting of the major and the minor prophets. But we should note that the distinction between them relates to the size of each book rather than to each book's importance. The books of the prophets cover the later periods of the history of Israel, the divided monarchy, the exile and the return from exile. Uh, beginning with uh, really with Elijah, I guess, um, whose prophetic ministry is described in the book of 1 Kings, chapters 17 to 19, during the reign of Ahab uh, in 874 to 853 BC. And uh, the period of the prophets ends really with the book of Malachi some 400 years later. The prophet's role was to mediate the covenant between God and the people. And like other ancient treaties, the covenant uh, carried blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. The prophet spoke on God's behalf. They brought his word to the people. And so many of their pronouncements begin with the phrase, Thus says the Lord. In addition, they also brought the response of the people uh, to God and interceded on their behalf. Sometimes their messages were delivered in the form of kind of oracles or kind of sermon-like speeches. Uh, at other times they were acted out uh, as in the ministries of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Uh, perhaps the most obvious example of enacted prophecy would be the ministry of Hosea, who was commanded to marry a prostitute as a symbol and indictment of Israel's unfaithfulness uh, to God, uh, going after with uh, the other the gods of the other nations. Um, Jeremiah is the longest book in uh, the Bible, uh, and the opening verses give us uh, great insight into the ministry uh, of the prophets generally, uh, as well as uh, Jeremiah's own ministry. One thing to note about these opening verses is that the message of the book is fixed in the context of the life of a real person who lived at a specific in a specific place and time within a specific cultural, social and political context. And that social, political and cultural context has a, a role in shaping Jeremiah's ministry and message in a way that's quite typical of all the prophets. We must never forget that the message of the Bible is rooted in real life. It involves real people in real situations uh, and circumstances. The God of the Bible is not uh, distant and removed from the reality of people's life experience, but rather speaks into the midst of life's hardships and struggles, joys and sorrows and triumphs and defeats and victories 
uh, and that it's in those situations that God speaks and is present. The world that Jeremiah grew up in was an Assyrian world. In 745 BC, Tiglath-Pileser III expanded the Assyrian Empire westwards with brutal and ruthless force taking control of the entire region. Uh, then in 735, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria formed a coalition to resist the Assyrians. And when Judah refused to join them, they attacked Judah. Uh, and King Ahaz of Judah um, refused to listen to Isaiah's instructions from God to trust God and turned instead to the Assyrians for help. Now, the Assyrians demolished Israel and Syria. Um, Judah found itself then under Assyrian control and subject to pay tribute to them and to their gods. In the years that followed, there were several failed attempts at rebellion, but there was also religious revival and renewal. In 705, Sennacherib became king of Assyria, sparking widespread revolt along the western edge of the empire. Against Isaiah's advice, King Hezekiah joined the rebellion and found himself and the city of Jerusalem under siege. Hezekiah finally listened to Isaiah and repented, and the city was spared by miraculous deliverance. As Christopher Wright points out, at the time it must have seemed like a triumph of Isaiah's wisdom, Hezekiah's faith, and the Lord's protection. And it was all of those things, but it seems to have left a less glorious long-term legacy. Isaiah himself didn't seem very impressed with any change in the lives of the people who had experienced God's deliverance. And by Jeremiah's time, the people had come to believe that God would always preserve and protect his city and his temple, no matter what. A complacent faith that the temple was inviolable had become a national self-deception, a falsehood that Jeremiah exposed and denounced almost at the cost of his own life. In 687, um, Manasseh became king of Judah and he completely reversed all the good that Hezekiah had done and totally submitted the nation to Assyrian rule. He's regarded as the, the evilest king who ever sat on the throne of Judah. It was sometime during the final years of his reign that Jeremiah was born. And so his childhood was spent in the midst of this advanced state of religious and social evil. Then in 640, Josiah became king at the age of eight. In 627, the year of Jeremiah's call to prophetic ministry, another ominous event happened on the world stage. King Ashurbanipal, the last strong king of Assyria, died and the empire began to crumble. Egypt was resurgent in the west. The tribes in the north, including the Medes, were rising, a rising force. And to the south, the Babylonians saw their opportunity to expand their own empire. Nationally and internationally, it was the end of an era. And it was in the midst of all the turmoil of all of that that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah, we also live in times of great turmoil. There's a, a shifting of the balance of power in the world. China now dominates the global economy under Putin's tyrannical leadership. Russia invaded Ukraine in an attempt to topple the West leading government from joining NATO and the EU. 
Global migration due to war and the climate crisis is causing major problems for Western democracies, particularly in Europe. In the UK, we are in the midst of a cost of living crisis with rising interest rates and no end in sight. Uh, it's, it's at the very least, you can say, it's a time of turmoil. And I think it's important then that we don't forget that it was in exactly such times as these that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, as it did so often uh, to the prophets who lived in similar times. And so we also need the word of the Lord to come to us. The history lesson in the opening verses of Jeremiah is actually quite important if we're to really understand Jeremiah and his message. They not only set the context for the message of the book, fixing it in space and time, they also tell us something critically important about the word of God spoken through the prophets. For again and again from these opening verses and throughout the book of Jeremiah, we are told that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and through him it came to the people of Judah and finally to us. And that is really true of all the prophets. And that tells us something about the relentless nature of the word of God. The brief historical context of the first three verses directs us to take note of the times in which God's word came to Jeremiah. Firstly, we see that God's word came in religious times. The word came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. You can find out more about him in 2 Kings 22-23. to The striking thing about Josiah's reign was that it was a time of spiritual renewal and restoration. He repaired the temple and when the book of the law was found and read out, he tore his robes in a sign of repentance and sorrow and grief for the nation's failure to obey the word of the Lord. He also tore down the pagan places of worship and put the pagan priests to death and the mediums and the spiritualists and the temple prostitutes. So Jeremiah began his ministry during an exciting time of religious renewal. It must have been a great time to be called to be a prophet. Maybe. If you fast forward to Jeremiah 3.10, it looks like much of the renewal was superficial and the hearts and minds of the people were not really changed at all. I think that was the experience of for most of the prophets. It was an improvement on the time of, of, the, of King Manasseh, but the reforms and renewals didn't go deep enough. Secondly, we see that the word of God came in hostile times. The times had changed, but the word of God, uh, God kept coming. The word of the Lord came in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Unlike his father, Jehoiakim was hostile to the religious renewal and he had no hesitation in undoing all his father's reforms and getting rid of God's prophets. For example, in Jeremiah 26, he took exception to uh, the word from the prophet Uriah and he tried to seize him, but Uriah fled to Egypt. He was so determined to put a stop to his prophetic ministry that he sent his henchmen to Egypt uh, where Uriah was then kidnapped and forcibly returned to Judah and then executed. In Jeremiah 26, a, a scroll had been dictated by Jeremiah to Baruch. It was read out before the king. It was a word of judgment against the king and the nation. 
The officials had it read to him because they knew the country was in grave danger and they believed the word from Jeremiah. <coughs> Excuse me. The king's response was to take the scroll and then slice it up with his knife and throw it in the fire. However, although he defied the word of God, he could not destroy it and in the end it would destroy him. It was a terrible time to be a prophet. A time when the king and the people were hostile to the word of the Lord. And we might well feel the same today. These are terrible times to speak a word from the Lord in a society that is hostile to it. But we should note that terrible as his times were, Jeremiah continued to speak the word of the Lord. Thirdly, we see that God's word came in uncertain times. In verse 3, we are told that the word came uh, until the completion of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Zedekiah was the last king before the judgment of God fell upon the nation and the people were defeated by the Babylonians and taken into exile in Babylon in 587 BC. Although we don't expect a general election until sometime in 2024, the political parties are already gearing up for it. A constant feature in the run-up to elections is, is the endless opinion polls that seek to predict how the vote uh, will uh, turn out you know, before it happens. Politicians live or die according to the opinion polls. And it's interesting how uh, the views of politicians sometimes change depending on which way the opinion polls are going. In fact, some of our politicians are well known for changing their minds depending on uh, which uh, results you get from a particular poll. And that was the kind of person that King Zedekiah was. There was no issue, religious or political, that he would not flip-flop over as he maintained uh, as, as long as he maintained his popularity. It wasn't that he was particularly good, it wasn't that he was particularly evil, he just kept flip-flopping back and forward to maintain uh, his popularity, like a, a politician in the run-up to an election. So, trusting in the opinion polls of the day, he made the mistake of rebelling against Babylon. It was an uncertain time to be a prophet in Judah. But still the word of the Lord came. Still the prophets spoke into that uh, nation, into the life of the king. And so we see, fourthly, that God's word came in disastrous times. The opening verses end by telling us that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Jeremiah continued to declare the word of the Lord in the most disastrous of times when the Babylonians who had been besieging the city finally breached the city walls. In doing so, they effectively conquered Judah, having already taken the other fortified cities. They burned the temple, they knocked down the city walls, they took people captive back to Babylon as slaves. It was a disaster unparalleled in Judah's history. And still the word of the Lord came. Dale Ralph Davis points out an interesting feature of the Hebrew text of verses 2 to 3. In verse 2 it says, The word of Yahweh came. However, 
in verse 3, the verb form is a bit different and can be translated quite rightly as and it went on coming in the days of Jehoiakim. It just went on coming. In times of superficial religion, in times of hardened indifference, in days of weak compromise, in days of national disaster, the word of God kept coming. The word of God is relentless. It's unstoppable. It simply keeps coming no matter what the climate seems to be, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the reception to it is. God's prophets speak his word. When Jeremiah's own ministry lasted about 40 years, and throughout that 40 years, the people still not once did they actually uh, listen to what he had to say. But still the word of God came and still it comes. These few verses then with their short history of Jeremiah's ministry tell us four astounding things about the word of the Lord. About the kind of situations in which the word of the Lord comes. But that's not all they tell us. For if the word of God came in religious times, it still does. If God's word comes in hostile times, it still does. If God's word came in uncertain times, it still does. If God's word came in disastrous times, it still does. God's word still comes to us in our situations, in our context, in what's happening in our lives, in our town, in our country, in our world. God's word still comes and speaks into that because God is not far removed from his people and he sends those with his word to speak it to us. And that really leaves us with just two questions. Are we hearing the word of God? And are we heeding the word of God? I pray that we'll have good answers to those questions. Thanks for listening.